pending. What the hell does that mean? Hold on. The little, little fucking clock spinning. Start recording. Okay, here we go. I think we're recording. Okay, three, two, one. All right, we're recording now. Here we go. Now it's official. So watch your filthy mouths. All right, welcome to the big show. This is Three Friends in Search of a Podcast. If you're pulling us up on iTunes, you might see it called Is This a Podcast? But For, Formerly known. Formerly, formerly known as, known is this as a Podcast. Yeah. Apparently, it was such an original idea that there's another podcast with the exact same name. So just like how there were at one time before they got signed, there were two bands called Slayer. There was Slayer from California and Slayer from oh, Texas, right. I believe. Yeah. Cross paths. And they were like, hey, you can't be Slayer. We're Slayer. And they were like, let's just see you get signed first. So <laughs> there's also two uh around that same time time period remember two venoms oh was there yeah I yeah yeah there's another one both signed or or one unsigned uh, yeah yeah one of them ended up changing their name to, to something else so venom kept venom and then the other one changed it to like venom death or something they <laughs> added something to the venom uk there you go yeah venom light venom light nice yeah yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, welcome again. This is Sweet Lou. I'm with my friends uh, Brad, the Stash Panda, and Jeremy. Do we have a name <laughs> for Jeremy yet? We're, We're still working on, on that. Jay Dizzle. Sweet motherfucking Lou. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm driving this week, so I thought we'd do a segment for the locals and or to try to explain this place to folks that are not locals. It's time for What Makes Seattle Seattle. All right. You ready, guys? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's do it. All yeah. right. I'll do a little like intro it. here. Before about 1990, this was a pretty sleepy town. In one sense, it's the witness relocation program, right? Geography, the farthest northeast you can go in the continental United States, where you might go to hide, right? But on the other hand, it's also kind of the center of the universe. Two of the companies that have changed the world in the last 25 years are from Seattle. Have you ever used a computer? Was it running Microsoft? Seattle. Did you ever used to have to go to three stores to find what you want? Now you just order it off of Amazon, right? The two richest people on the planet are Seattleites and Bezos and Gates. I don't know if Gates is still up there. I don't know if he will be after the divorce. but uh, So, yeah, give you an idea of the power of Seattle. This could also go into an I don't know <clears throat> shit about sports segment. In 1996, <laughs> the owner of the Seattle Seahawks tried to move the team to Los Angeles. He was a carpetbagger from California named Ken, Ken Baring, and he always wanted to take the team to Los Angeles because at that time, there was no team there. So he said, give me a new stadium or I'm leaving. We said, no, we just got suckered into building a new stadium for the Mariners. No stadium for you. Deal with it. And these moves have happened before in the NFL. Most notably, the Cleveland Browns became the Baltimore Ravens in 1996. The Cleveland Browns, Jim Brown... One of the dynasties of the NFL, eight championships before 1950, same exact scam. The owner said, if you don't give me a new stadium, I'm moving. And they didn't give him one. And he took it to Baltimore. And in Cleveland, football was king. Every game was sold out. The city lived for football. And yet the NFL allowed the team to move. But when Ken Baring tried to move the Seahawks, they stepped in. He literally, literally had the trucks packed, like all the semis were packed and out in front of the team facilities, and the NFL freaked out. They were like, absolutely not. That move is blocked. You need to sell the team to someone local. 
and be done with it if you can't make it in Seattle. And when you look at the map from a national perspective, it makes sense. You know, when you live on the East Coast, everything's two hours apart. Cleveland to Philly to New York to Jersey to Pittsburgh, D.C., Boston. Ohio has a second football team and the Cincinnati Bengals, so they said you'll survive. But if you live in Seattle, it's far away from everything. It's 12 hours to the Bay Area. It's two days to Minneapolis. It's 18 hours to Los Angeles and Vegas, 20 hours to Denver. So Seattle or this regional team for this giant chunk of the country. So the NFL was not going to let that happen. So I like there's this dichotomy about Seattle. In one sense, it's remote and far away from everything. And in many ways, it's been the center of the universe for the last 25 years. So Microsoft, Amazon, Starbucks, the upscaling so the of the reason America. we have an NFL team is because we're too far from Denver. We're too far from everything. Yes. There's uh-huh. no sports okay. teams in Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon. Um, yeah. So the nearest NFL teams 12 hours away and then 18 and then. And the East Coast, they've got a team two hours away from everything. And so, so, like, so now, essentially, do we have a team whose owner completely resents us in the NFL? Uh, no, he he was forced to sell. So uh, Paul Allen bought it. God bless Paul Allen. Anything about what you're saying, Lou? So I actually read this quote um, recently, in like in the last six months, that it was talking about how Seattle has a history of always kind of like forming a new version of itself every 25 years. In fact, I think the quote was something along the lines of like every 25 years, Seattle sheds its exoskeleton in a new version emerges. And if you look at the history of Seattle, you'll see that's true. Like leading up to the mid nineties when Microsoft moved in and Seattle became a technopolis before that it was the jet city, right? Like Boeing ruled Supreme and it was yeah. very much blue collar town. And that started in the 1940s and lasted, you know, or it probably started in the 1950s and went on until uh, Microsoft took over. And before that, you know, it was it was a mill town at one point when it was first founded. And so there's been a lot of different versions of Seattle and we're nearing that 25 year mark, maybe even a little past it. And so. I've been wondering is if like a new version of Seattle is going to emerge that's different than what it's been the past 25 years. Hmm, like like a maggot shedding its pupa shell, turning into a <laughs> shit fly. Shedding it. Well, <laughs> overpriced condos. <laughs> yeah, what's, uh, what, we just we just we'll just shed Ballard altogether. <laughs> right, all the RVs and. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's just interesting. But historically, Seattle has always like, yeah, it's like every 25 or 30 years, something happens and it shakes things up and you get this new version of Seattle. Huh. So what's next? I wonder. Yeah. What's the next flavor? That's the big question. Mm-hmm. Though you're right about this. Um, the homeless thing. I think Seattle's got to be one of the worst in the country. It's I know L.A. is worst, but in terms of. The tent cities, I didn't see those five years ago, even. No. Now they're just everywhere. They're everywhere. No, they they didn't used to be a thing. I even remember when I first saw some tents appearing on the meridians along I-5. You know how you Mm -hmm. see everywhere now? 
but yeah, like you said, even five years ago, you didn't see that. You didn't see. Yeah, well, people, yeah, I but, think the key there is you didn't. They, you didn't see them as much. I think they were there. They just well, there's always they, been homeless. They were less prominent. Yeah, sure. they were in less less um, visible, less public spaces, right? But they were definitely there. Oh yeah, no Seattle's yeah. sure. In fact, Skid Road is was originated from Seattle. The the rock Bam. and roll band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't mm-hmm. it literally like they would run the logs down the Denny down Denny Hill? Yeah. yeah. Into the water or something like that? Yeah. And then after the depression, that area where the, the logs used to be run down, that became uh like a, basically a homeless camp is the best way to describe it. And they called it Skid Road. Oh, okay. So now, like, now it's a term you hear everywhere. Like, Los Angeles has its own skid row, you know. Skid row is wherever the homeless hang out, or it, it always has been. But it started in Seattle. And we're proud of it. And we're proud of it. We homelessness almost, started here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, 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 we invented it. So that's right. Yes, yeah, we, we invented it. <laughs> that's another dichotomy about it. It's one of the richest cities in the country, and yet they can't even provide basic oh, services oh yeah for sure um yeah just try to rent a house or buy a house here and you'll see what time it is well but, one, of the, uh, one of the ways so I change is i was thinking you know how um so thanks to the pandemic like a large portion of people have been working from home mm-hmm. and now that things are easing the big discussion with most of the companies my my workplace for instance the big discussion is like okay when are we going to return to the office are we going to return to the office? What's what's the new thing looking like? And with my work, I mean, overall, it's it's agreed across the board that our productivity increased during the pandemic um, and that things have been running pretty, pretty smooth and effortless. And, you know, we're renting an entire floor in one of downtown's premier buildings. Uh, so my office rents an entire floor there. I don't know what they're paying, but it's got to be quite a bit. So now, you know, like, do we need to pay that or are we better off working from home five days a week? And I think a lot of companies are having that. So is there going to be a mass exodus of people leaving Seattle because they don't have to be tied to their workplace and they can buy like a cheaper property over east of the Cascade somewhere or, you know, more. Yeah, go to Ellensburg or Clee Ellum or Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Yeah. Though Aberdeen's a shithole, I don't think you're going to see a mass exodus there. Dude, Aberdeen <laughs> in the top ten uh, hottest places to buy real estate right now. What? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Aberdeen, Spokane, and Coeur d'Alene. Uh, I just drove through Aberdeen about a month ago, and it's the same Aberdeen, Holmes. It's like... No, it, not according to this list. It's Maybe a forgotten... You know, it was big blogging town, and now it's kind of like those... But cities it's, on the it's, east coast it's, it's, where the, the industry it's left. It's the same Aberdeen, but now 65% more expensive. Well, yeah. but it has a it has a um, core historical district, and it's like Port Townsend or Port Angeles. Those have become pretty hot, kind of trendy places where you know a lot of people go there to retire. Aberdeen's the same way. It's it's always been dismissed as kind of a um, shitty place, like a shitty little town, but it has a historical core. And that's what attracts people, and they start moving in, and gentrified, and it's yes, yeah, just like Port Angeles or, or Port Townsend. Yeah, All but right. unlike those two 
those Port Angeles and Port Townsend are actually beautiful. Yeah, they're just <laughs> <laughs> They got something going for them there. Aberdeen. But, eh. but they, that that always that wasn't always the case. They were like considered kind of shitty places at point. And then you had a bunch of rich retirees transform it. Yeah, and you still uh, can't be Aberdeen can't be beat in terms of uh, availability of good math, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. Yep. They were um, the, uh, the moonshine capital during Prohibition. Aberdeen it was so remote, and all the hills and stuff. So the, it was one of the hottest places in the entire country as far as moons moonshine production. And uh, to your point, yeah, I'm sure meth is now has now surpassed moonshine. <laughs> Even more popular than that. <laughs> All right, like Lou, you 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 kicked off this subject. What makes Seattle Seattle? And so far, everything we talked about is like really depressing. Okay, um, so uh, other than maybe keeping our NFL team, I don't know, gentrification, getting squeezed out of good cities. Um, let's see what else. Meth. Uh, what about the influence of Seattle on the rest of the country? That's positive, yeah. right? Well, we live through it, man. Yeah, it just depends on who you ask, right? I'm sure there's plenty of people who say, "Fuck Seattle, man!" Like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need your crap, like, uh, spreading out over to my city. Yeah, but you like my computer, don't you, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> you like, you like getting that uh, thing in the mail in two days. What are you, you What are you gonna do while you work on a Mac? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you can get on overstock.com mm-hmm. good luck with that's that that's right um the yeah think about uh starbucks like when we were growing up everybody drank folgers or mjb and all this terrible coffee just because it had caffeine in it and nobody drinks that stuff anymore um, same way with the beer. Everyone used to drink Bud Miller Coors because it had alcohol in it. And I'd say the Northwest was one of the one of the primary areas of getting the micro brew thing going. Oh, yep, definitely for, for sure. sure. So th- there you go. There's a couple positives. All right, all right. Now we're on a roll. Now, now we're now we're now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Uh, how about music? Best guitar player on the planet's from here. Jimi Hendrix, Nirvana, <laughs> Bruce Lee. Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Kenny G, Hart, Macklemore, Macklemore, Peter <laughs> Kenny, uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot. That's right. That's right. Yeah. My posse is on Broadway. That's right. Goddamn straight. Yeah. For all of uh, for our listener who's not a local, Broadway is not uh, Broadway in New York. Broadway is the main strip on Capitol Hill, which is kind of like the hipster district. And it's also like the Castro and it's the gay district. So I always appreciated the irony of it. Hip hop band saying my posse is on Broadway because it's totally gay on Broadway. But and they're kind of it's kind of homophobic or was a lot of more homophobic back then. No, I would say Seattle's been is like an innovative place um, for anything. Like when you when you talk about technology, you already leave it off Microsoft, the other tech companies that, you know, basically have ruled since the 90s um, music, uh, coffee. I mean, it's just an innovative place. But um, is the city still conducive to having that creativity and spirit of being innovative like it was in the past? That's the big question. Yeah, that's true. I guess you're saying as more people move out of the city, but in terms of 
right now, like a lot of the, you know, newer companies or established ones like Google are yeah. putting big presences in Seattle just because this is one of the areas with the people that can do the job. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's there's one way to look at it, like you know the influx and outflux of people, right? Like so maybe we're having a like a brain drain or something, and people are like you know mass exodus, and people talk about you know California doing that, you know people are like mass you know leaving California because of all these different challenges and crap like that, and then you know California's got to worry about what to do with that, you know, and, and to your point, you know maybe certain areas got more popular, but then they kind of started like waxing and waning because um you know things got super expensive and all that, but you, you also need to kind of balance that with the the non-human components, like the, the geographic components that I think also had a huge influence on our, in our kind of like progressiveness in our area. And I think a lot of it is, you know, the rain and the, the not so hot weather during, you know, nine months out of the year, which kind of breeds a little bit of like kind of this latent D- depression and and uh, uh, moroseness uh, of 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 character that I think is uh, you know might be something that that kind of sticks around even as as people kind of come and go. Yeah, that's true. I um, this was pretty cool. One time I was just browsing the shelves at the library downtown and I randomly got this Carl Jung book. You know, one of the fathers of the field of psychology. I was just browsing the shelves, and there was this whole row of these gorgeous hardbacks, like black and gold, and nobody had touched them. They were still pristine. So I just grabbed one and checked it out, and it was a good one. And one of the things in there that was pretty cool, and good thing it was towards the beginning because I was out after about 100 pages, but (laughs) he talked about the, the power of land, and he was saying that the power of land in shaping a personality is like immeasurable. And then he further went on how the land even physically changes people. And he said how in America, even after the second and third generation, you could see, despite no cross pollination with the Native Americans, you saw a restructuring of the physical. Where I don't know if that's like squarer jaws, bigger forehead, broader shoulders. Granted, he had zero scientific data to back that up. It was probably just him on an opium bender writing like crazy. But <laughs> He's he's got a point. The land definitely shapes the people living in it for sure, right? Wow, this, this podcast is getting way too cerebral. Uh, we're probably gonna have to change the ratings. Um, <laughs> gosh, yeah. <laughs> With Lou going off on his Carl Jung uh, uh, tangent here. Uh, no, no, I, I it. it I, I'm still blown away that we're talking a bunch of shit about Seattle, and you're like, oh yeah, I read something from Carl Jung that totally backs <laughs> that up. You're like, what? Yeah, I don't want to sound too literate because that's probably <laughs> the only thing I've ever read. It applies here. Oh, the only hardback I ever read was Carl Young last first, week. First hundred pages. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is that does keep people inside. I remember. Do you remember 1996? I think it was an El Nino year, right? And so this happens here once in a while for our listeners that not from here sometimes you don't get a summer like let's see what's the saying this summer begins after the fourth of july in seattle and -hmm. sometimes it'll be pretty rainy in june and you won't you'll have a good day a couple good days and then a couple rainy days and then it's like the middle of august and it's starting to get cold at night and you're like oh shit i don't think it's gonna happen this year and that's heavy that was the same year and it set the record it was like January to March, we had 89 days with two hours of sunlight total. Ooh. It was ah. just 
brutal. Yeah. And there was, we had a neighbor where we were living at the time and he had just moved up from California for a tech job. And like in August we were taking a walk and we saw him loading all his shit into a moving truck and we were like, Hey, where are you going? He's like, I'm out of here, man. This is I not can't cool. take this. <laughs> this place blows. I was like, it's not like this every year. Kind of, but this is especially every, bad. Every third year. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe that, make and foster some creativity or maybe the the tech part like people are inside so they're more proficient on computers and playing guitar you know things like that or you know, you know they see they see all their friends and neighbors packing it up saying screw this i can't take this anymore and they think to themselves that's right that's right i'm way more hardcore i'm sticking it out <laughs> right and that that leads to you know creating an operating system or something i, I don't know there you go uh, someone tell me, agree with me that the drivers up here are super shitty and tell me why that is. Uh, universal, man. I think everywhere you go, people are yeah. like bitching about drivers. Doesn't everybody say that? I lived in Reno and I never said it there. I lived in San Francisco and I never said it there. Really? I definitely say it here. Yeah, there's like people are, maybe that's the head too far in their own head. Like mm. if you want to someone to speed up in seattle just past them i that, <laughs> oh so 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 your your flavor your flavor of shitty driver for uh, the seattle is the super passive aggressive you get the passive aggressive and you get the slow they're just kind of putt putting and right. you go past them and they speed up they're like oh i, I didn't realize i was slacking yeah. um yeah. while they're in the left lane are you talking about the, ones that are, uh, the slow drivers in the fast lane yes yeah. A lot of those people, a lot of slow drivers in the carpool lane. Like, you don't need the carpool lane if everyone's going faster than you in the other four lanes. Well, what always baffles me is how do they not know that there's a big line of, like, pissed off cars behind them? Piled, <laughs> like, the not looking, not caring. <laughs> it's so weird. Because we're passive aggressive, they're going to go on uh, – facebook and write a long article about how bad the drivers are here whereas if this was jersey you'd have some guy on your ass flashing his brights and hitting the horn like get over yeah no east coast drivers are different that way whenever we go back to boston to visit Kristen's family you know i always let her drive because i'm a little intimidated man because those people don't fuck around if you're if you're expected to go you need to go yeah i noticed that for sure in fact, in New York, I was amazed at, like, I think one hand is just on the horn. Like, I've, <laughs> I've never been honked so much in that town for doing nothing. <laughs> just driving, like, honk! What? I'm trying to turn. You got the turn signal on, waiting for the uh, pedestrians. Honk! <laughs> yeah, I see the shitty here, and it just sort of that look of, I don't feel comfortable behind the wheel. Like, anything goes wrong and they're slamming on those brakes if there's an accident on the other side of the freeway both sides of the freeway are packed if you're going down through joint base lewis mccord which is this what 15 mile stretch of road past tacoma on i-5 no matter what time of year it is that thing's a nightmare and when you hit you come out of it and you hit old nisqually and all of a sudden traffic just speeds up and you're like I wanted to see some flipped up cars and dead bodies to explain this. Like what happened? 
And it's just that there's no more lanes. It's three lanes going in and three lanes coming out. But at the end, the lanes get a little bit wider. So at JBLM, they kind of compress. And that uh, freaks people uh-huh. out. Uh-huh. Same like, like Northgate going north at the S-curves right before Northgate. Everyone tenses up and hits the brakes. Coming out of, where is it, like North Everett when you got the the lake on the right there, which is like the Everett sewage pond, I think. Lanes get skinny. Everyone freaks out. So, yeah. yeah Drivers it, blow it, here. With with Seattle, like you're talking about, like what makes Seattle Seattle? One thing that I, I, I think for sure, even to this day where I'm, I'm kind of used to it at this point, is Seattle is not a good place for the you know the intimidated driver right like the the fresh driver in uh especially dense areas like seattle like good luck man we are not kind to uh to 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 new folks in the area yeah and it's kind of funky here the streets are all really skinny you know parking lots are super tight all um, sorts of restricted lanes that you don't know one the fuck if you're allowed in there or not. And then all of a sudden it's like exit only. And then all of a sudden it's like carpool only. But then it's like you have to exit, but then you can't exit. But then, it's, oh, my God. Yeah. I've thought about that with my kids. Like I grew up dry, learning to drive in a small rural town in northern Nevada where there's no traffic and the lanes are wide and the parking spots are wide. and There's nothing to hit here. There's like a million things going on. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I mean, oh, and then occasionally I, from Winnemucca, I would go to Reno, which isn't that big a deal. And I was like freaked out because I felt like traffic was crazy there when it's not even close to this. That more cars in Seattle's like inner city neighborhoods don't get clipped more because there's so many streets where it's so narrow and there's parking on both sides that if you're driving and another car is coming the opposite way, yeah. one of you has to move over and let the other through right yeah love yeah those, those one lane roads yep yep those one lane roads but how do how do people's cars not get clipped all the time i'd be a nervous wreck my part there. yeah that's something that's pretty cool i think it's something to be with um you know how many generations have been driving now you know 10 or something i think there's just something intuitive about it because yeah how come people aren't hitting things all over the place <laughs> just bumping into stuff how do you instinctively know where the edges i thought it was just car? me <laughs> you know but you seem to instinctively know where these edges of this car are yeah and of course there's always dings and dunks you can go in any one of those tight parking garages mentioned well, and see the, the, the paint scrapes all over the oh, pillars yeah. and stuff yeah that's always fun to see yeah <laughs> And, and this shit would be way, way easier if we, as our fat-ass Americans, didn't drive our fat-ass cars and our fat-ass trucks and SUVs. You go to, like, Europe, right, and they have these, like, you know, skinny-ass streets, but they also have these skinny-ass cars. <laughs> so it's, it's a little, little different, a little different. <laughs> they also, also have those cool little – the mirrors. You get out of the car, turn the car off, and the mirrors shoop, suck up into the side of the car. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. We don't get those. So um, would you say Seattle Northwest, it's kind of a hippie hippie place? Is that word even fly? Is it a hippie joint? Well, you, that's more. That, no, I think it once was. Remember in the 90s, like if you talk to people about Seattle, they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's a bunch of granolas and it's really. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Tree, hu- tree huggers. Yep. Tree huggers. 
you don't hear that description anymore because the demographic has changed. Like when I go into Seattle yeah. now and look at the people, I'm not seeing like the people that used to see in the the nineties. Um it's like, Which always look like they're dressed like they're gonna go hiking or something. <laughs> well you used to dress like that and now you see it and it's more kind of like the metrosexual style, you know. The, yeah. When's the last time you saw people uh, rappelling off the side of a bridge with a big-ass Greenpeace sign? It's been years. <laughs> years. I used to see it, like, every couple of months. Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's the Greenpeace guys again, chaining themselves to a something. But you yeah. Know, and, get, like, the kind of cars was kind of a stereotype of Seattle. Everyone was driving, you know, according to the... Subaru. Subaru out back. Yeah, yeah. we were driving. Subarus with a, a Mountaineer sticker on the back, maybe a Grateful Dead sticker, mm-hmm. and that's not really the case so much anymore. I don't know. I think it's changed. It's been replaced by the Tesla. The te- yeah, yeah. I know. It kind of Teslas. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Teslas with an ironic Mountaineer sticker on the back. <laughs> <laughs> vintage. It's a, it's a vintage Mountaineer sticker. Yeah, it was a Mountaineer sticker. There's usually an NPR sticker somewhere, and usually a, a Grateful Dead Dancing Bear sticker. Like, <laughs> see, and, but you don't see that anymore. Um, it's I, still I, libs, though, right? I want a, I want an NRA yeah. sticker for my car. Yeah, uh, that's you, a good point. Those are rare. Trump sticker, NRA sticker. Do not see many of those. We passed a dude on the freeway yesterday, and he had two giant American flags stuck on the back ends of the bed of his pickup and we were like yeah no uh looking for the bumper stickers no trump sticker no none of that and i was thinking no gun rack but once we got on on the side window we saw a a blue lives matter so you know there's a little bit of that but i think he puts his flags in at night and if i think if you have a trump sticker you're gonna get 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 your shit keyed He might have learned that the hard way. Yeah. So uh, have have we lost our granola way? I think we have. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. So. Like even like, I saw this video that went viral. So there was um this big kind of teenage party broke out at Alkyd Beach last night. Did you hear about that? No. We're <laughs> called, and there was a bunch of viral footage of it. You know, because everyone has a phone now, of course. It was mostly mostly teenagers, so they, they everyone was recording it, and it went all over the internet and stuff. And even that, you could look at the footage from that and see how everyone's dressed and kind of what the demographic is, and it's completely different than what Seattle used to be. It's much more. Uh... So many, so many cans of White Claw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rainier and Red Hook have been replaced by the White Claw generation. That's you want to like explore it in terms of uh, alcoholic beverages? Yeah, I believe so. So, so has has our granola been replaced with chia seed smoothies, avocado toast, avocado toast? Well, I guess that's kind of a hippie thing, avocado smoke, avocado toast. But um, yeah, uh, the clothes definitely it used to be all a Bauer, Patagonia. Yeah. Cargo shorts, cargo pants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Flannel. Lots of flannel. Or I love that whole flannel face. Yeah. 
It's going to come back, right? Yeah, I fit, I fit ten, right ten, in. I came ten to 12 from years? a small podunk town. Yeah. <laughs> I came from a podunk town and had a closet full of flannel just because it's cold in the wintertime. And you come up here and you're hip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went from hip to hip. <laughs> That's why everybody moved to Seattle. <laughs> this is fucking great. Yeah, I don't have to learn how to dress. I can just uh, dress like I just got out of the Goodwill and, and roll with it. So, like, way back in the day when we were still kind of the n- notorious for the hippie, uh, you know, granola-eating, tree-hugging bunch that we were, a lot of a lot of folks, you know, uh, would rip on us for, like, we, we were posers, right? Like, we, we wanted to be tree-hugging, granola-eating, you know, people with a patagonia shit out climbing mountains every day but in fact we weren't we were working at microsoft and just you know drove the subaru with the you know mountaineer sticker on it but never actually like went up to the mountains right so has that kind of like evolved into like you know you know what we don't even really try to pretend that that is our lifestyle anymore we just embrace the 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 overall milieu i don't know brad yeah yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on <laughs> all right i think we've uh we've beat this uh one trick pony with the with the dead horse do we have to ask ourselves though right would this make a good podcast it's got legs like would we would we revisit this again no. maybe right maybe M- maybe for like a what's 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 hip this week kind of thing yeah yeah some shit. Okay. I, I, I respect I the fact that you did a little bit of research, Lou, and got like a little bit of sports angle in there. Brad, we know you've got like tons and tons of rich history about like why Seattle is Seattle, and I'm, I, I applaud you for not even you know, going down that with your with your with your deep knowledge rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, the Brad's uh, Brad's going to do a spotlight this week. Maybe we want to get into it now. Let's do I don't know shit about. So we do this episode, we do this recurring segment called I Don't Know Shit About dot dot dot. And it's usually where one of us, one, one of the dummies drops some knowledge on the heads of the other two dummies with something they might not know about. I did I Don't Know Shit About Sports. Jeremy did I Don't Know Shit About Cars. And Brad, what do we what do we got this week? Well, Jeremy, I think you just jinxed yourself where you're just oh. kind of a celebrating the fact that i haven't gone any down any uh, deep historical rabbit holes with you guys <laughs> oh, yeah. about that. buckle yeah. up <laughs> buckle up my friends buckle up my friends because this this week i'm doing you don't know shit about history oh, mm. and that's right. fair jeremy right. i think i know i definitely qualify about goddamn time so i got a pretty cool story that i've just recently unearthed so i'm uh kind of semi working on the next book after the Hubbard book, I'm co-writing it with this guy, and it's going to be about the Seattle area roadhouses that once existed on Highway 99 and what is now Lake City Way. And roadhouses, for those that don't know, kind of started out in the latter part of Prohibition, basically as speakeasies. They were outside of the city limits on the, the newly constructed highways at the time. This was, of course, before I-5. And so they were kind of like enough out of the way that they could exist without being bothered by the cops too much and not having too much legal heat. Uh. Then 
after, and they were tied into the car cultures. These, these were places where people could drive. They wanted to have a good time and they wanted to get out of the city for a little bit. And you'd pull your car up. And these places were musical venues, bars. They had gambling, illegal gambling going on. So if you wanted to have a good time and you wanted to go out and get your party on, these were the places you went to. And they were extremely rowdy. They were getting, they usually got raided by the cops on a fairly regular basis. So they had this, you know, kind of air of danger to them. And I think that attracted a lot of people to, to visit them. Uh, after prohibition ended, uh, alcohol was legal again, but you couldn't, here in Washington, you couldn't serve anything stronger than 3.2% beer or wine. Neither no beer. At all. You couldn't have any, the only place you could buy hard liquor was at state-owned liquor stores, but no restaurants, bars, or taverns was able to sell hard alcohol in the late 40s. So these roadhouses got around it by allowing people to bring in their own bottles. And then when you got in, they'd hand you a menu, and it was basically like all kinds of different mixers. They'd hand you a pitcher with a bunch of ice in it, and then you'd pick whatever mixers you want, like, you know, ginger ale, lime juice, whatever whatever your drink of choice was. And you'd make your own cocktails there at your table. And they'd have live jazz bands playing. And at that point, they called them bottle clubs. And then the police started raiding them because of that, because they knew people, they were allowing people to bring in their own booze. And you weren't supposed to do that. So these places were pretty rowdy. Um, A lot of them had uh, motels attached next to them or inns, either like across the street or next door because they were also big fronts for prostitution. And so what they would do is whoever <laughs> owned the roadhouse usually also owned the hotel or inn that was nearby. And so if they'd have prostitutes in there, and if, if someone was interested, they would just go across the street to the motel and, and get a room and do it that way. Um, but the story I unearthed was this. So on Highway 99, have you guys heard of Doc Hamilton? Do you guys know who Doc Hamilton mm. is? Oh, yeah. Wasn't yeah. there a Doc Hamilton's down in Pioneer Square? No, that was Doc Maynard's. Okay. <laughs> Doc Hamilton, in during Prohibition, he was this black guy that owned uh, probably the city's largest speakeasy in the Central District. It was called Doc Hamilton's. And... Um, it was a huge jazz venue and a lot of the like political elite secretly met there. And so he knew enough movers and shakers where he didn't get bothered too much, but eventually he did. And when that happened, he opened a place on Highway 99, really close to where I used to live, um, called Doc Hamilton's Barbecue Ranch. And he owned it for about hmm. a year. And then the legal heat got too much. It got raided. So he sold it to his manager, this guy called O.W. Owens. And O.W. Owens owned the ranch from that point forward. He also owned another one further up the road called the Blakewood Inn. And he became kind of the official crime boss of the Highway 99 Roadhouses. He was kind of the one that that ran things more or less. And um, he got arrested several times. He was always getting raided for illegal gambling or whatever. So he was always in and out of jail, but he kept coming back and he would just keep running things. Uh, here's where the story gets interesting, though. So in 19, I believe it was in 1936, he's driving down the road and suddenly this car is driving really super fast on the wrong side of the road coming right at him. And he drives over to the shoulder to try to get out of the way. 
but this guy is just veering all over the place, this other car, and they have a head-on collision. And this O.W. Owens guy dies as a result of the collision. The guy, the other driver, as it turns out, was this college kid, um, Andrew Ballinger. And he had just, he was drunk. He pretty much admitted as much to the, the cops that showed up at the scene. And, but his par- his family was the Ballinger. So have you, you guys have heard of Is Lake, it Lake Ballinger? And Lake Ballinger. Ballinger Way. That was, that was his uncle that it was named after. His uncle was a, a mayor of Seattle, and he also served, I think, as Secretary of the Interior in the Roosevelt administration. So he was high up the chain in, like, Seattle social, you know, order. Um, and then this guy, this kid's dad was also a prominent attorney. So the Ballingers were, you know, like a very influential Seattle family at the time. And they basically, because of his family connections, they had it completely swept under the rug. Like he basically killed this Owens guy um, because he was drunk and just ran into his car, but he got off scot-free because of his family connections. And it was the balance. Pretty, pretty. What do you guys think of that? Well, back in the day. Oh, go ahead, Jay. Well, yeah, man, this story is super fascinating and uh, I can totally see a book in the making. Oh, my gosh. Right. But, so but the first thing that pops in my head is like, OK, yeah, the, like you said, the political connections and stuff were, were you know, influential in getting this all sw- swept under the rug. But I'm thinking like as they were all kind of crafting this, like trying to, you know, co- cohort to get all of this stuff kind of swept under the rug, like you said, there's also like the added benefit that like, hey, this guy was like, a, you know, a kingpin of these yeah. illegal roadhouses that were like a scourge of, uh, yeah. you know, the outskirts of Seattle, you know, right. to, to certain politicians or whatever. So they're like, you know, hey, it's a win-win, right? <laughs> you know, the, we, right. We, we get to grease the palms of some politicians and we also get to like you know sweep this like kingpin guy uh you know owner of a couple of roadhouses under the under the rug and then like there's a couple of uh you know additional roadhouses that we can kind of check off the list right yeah no yeah i think you're totally right i think that's definitely into it yeah back in the day like drunk driving wasn't really such a taboo like it is today like that guy would definitely be in jail i mean he probably the kid probably didn't even spend the night in jail yeah no he didn't i don't think he did I don't think he did. I don't even think he had handcuffs placed on him. I think once they found out his name, you know, I think his dad was called to the scene, and uh, that was pretty much the end of it at that point. Damn. You know, there's still those hangovers of um, what year was it that, for our listener that's not a local, there was you couldn't buy liquor in a grocery store or in a convenience store or even in most restaurants until we passed a bill five years ago was it yeah a little little longer than that though a little longer but yeah you had to buy your booze at a state-run liquor store yep you couldn't go to costco you couldn't go to safeway you had to go there now you kind of take it for granted but you're right i remember when they first started selling hard alcohol and like the first time i saw hard alcohol in qfc or safeway or whatever i was like whoa look at that (laughs) the big (laughs) For me, it was Costco. Yeah, seeing it in Costco, I was like, oh. <laughs> and it's still expensive as heck here to get hard liquor because when it was in a state-run liquor store, the you know the taxes were huge. Yeah. And um, and once when it went private, they weren't about to give up that tax money. So if you buy a fifth and it's 
$22. The final price on it is $30. Yeah. You know, that, that, there's always these discussions like like how bad are the liquor prices, you know, region by region, right? right? And some people some say, oh, you know, Seattle's super expensive if you compare it to like certain places or whatever. I, I get it. It's like, I, I don't have like a ton of familiarity with like, you know, what liquor prices are across the country. There's probably, I'm sure there's like websites and shit that like track all that stuff. But I was also curious too. It's like, so taxes are crazy high on booze. They're also crazy high on marijuana, right? So any, any state that has legal marijuana also has a shit ton of taxes applied to them, just like Washington State does. So I'm really curious, like, how does Washington State rank in terms of its if its cost structure compared to, like, say, Colorado, California, soon to be, you know, New York, New Jersey, right? There's you no. Know, and again, I'm sure there's websites that track that kind of shit. I was always curious about that, though. Yeah, it's a different state for sure. And the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board are the ones that make the rules about that. Um, and I I don't know the, the specifics, but I know a lot of people in this state are unhappy with the way they run their, their system here for, for that. Because compared to other places like Colorado, I guess it's not nearly as good and efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it seems like they run it pretty well. Go, yeah. Going back to your story, Brad, like so it, it seems like like roadhouses in general, like they live and die by the laws of of the time. Right. So whatever mm-hmm. kind of prohibition laws were in place, you know, you know, speakies pop pop up because people want to drink and they can't legally and, you know, yada, yada. And 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 a a a business will pop up to fill a demand. Right. So how in, in your research of these kinds of stories how much of an impact does the local laws, you know, Washington state specific liquor laws, which has a rich history of being kind of wacky compared to the rest of the country. How does yeah. that compare to like general, you know, federal laws, which were also you know, pretty wacky back in the thirties and forties. Right. Yeah. Well, here in Washington, the laws were way more draconian compared to other places because saloons had gotten so out of control here in the early 1900s that um, because of the saloons, Washington State went went dry in 1916, which was like five years before the rest of the country because things were so. Oh crazy. wow! So when prohibition was repealed in 1933, they immediately formed the Washington State Liquor Control Board, and then they were paranoid and completely petrified that things were going to go back to the lawless days of the saloon. So that's why they put all these really draconian laws and rules in place about alcohol. Like, for instance, uh, what I was telling you guys about that, you know, the strongest drink you could get if you went to a bar was 3.2% or lower beer or wine. I mean, that's nothing. They also had um, all kinds of crazy rules. Like, you couldn't, you had to be seated when you were having your drink. So you couldn't have your drink in your hand and be walking around. That wasn't allowed. They wanted you to go over to the pool table and have your drink. You had no. to be sitting down. And women could not <laughs> order drinks. This was because of how rampant prostitution was before prohibition. They didn't want to go back to that either. So women could not go up to the bar and order a drink for themselves until 1969 here in Washington State, which is pretty mind blowing to think about. It. Yeah. Yeah. If a woman orders her own drink, she's going to turn into a prostitute. Yeah. And then uh, you couldn't have, so when they finally let bars and taverns serve hard alcohol. uh, Which was literally like 15 years ago. No, that was in 1948 is when 
finally start serving like mixed drinks and stuff um it was considered so such a um shock that any place that was serving art hard alcohol couldn't have windows because they didn't want the public to see like the, the moral <laughs> depravity. Uh, so oh, for, there's some uh, unintended consequences there. Like, yeah, you right? can't have windows. So, <laughs> so for a decade, but we don't, we, we don't want you to be a shady business. <laughs> yeah. so, so for a, uh, for a decade, it wasn't until God, like the early '60s, I want to say that they changed that law, and there was a, it was a big deal. They had you know. Like, Daylight bars, you could go somewhere with windows, actual windows, and have a drink. And that was considered a big deal. So Washington has really strange history of liquor laws. Um, well, what about this one, Brad? Because I remember when I first got to town, like, you'd go to the Red Door or Linda's or a lot of these bars were basically beer pubs. Like, you couldn't, you could only serve hard liquor if you had, if you served food. And it couldn't just right. be, mm-hmm. I remember one bar was like... Oh, we got some Marie Calendar freezer meals. And yeah, that's that's food. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's you gotta have a kitchen. You gotta have a stove. You gotta have yeah. an oven, a grill, something. Yeah, you're right. So you had to be in like a restaurant to get a mixed drinks, but a lot of bars, you you couldn't. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. That's why a lot of places you couldn't order mixed drinks at a lot of bars and stuff. That's you know, that, that's a that's a great historical element too that it's really fun to see the the legacy of to this day right so there are still a few um very few just beer and wine bars around right you, you can you can find them there's some like dive bars that are just beer and wine or wh- whatever and it, it's kind of cool to go in and check it out and say it, it's a little shocking at first you're like wait a second you don't have don't have mixed drinks you don't have alcohol no no no, we're just beer and wine and you're like you look kind of look around you're like wow this place has been around since <laughs> they were like legally prohibited from having hard alcohol it's kind of kind of freaky and and it's a, a little bit of a of a dying industry for sure but there there's a couple of them still around well a lot of brew pubs are like that. like if you go to a a lot of breweries um they just beer a lot of those have hard liquor yeah what about that place the dive bar you guys took me to before the pandemic that was up it was above daryl's it was like farther up 99 what's that place oh remember uh, we met echo lake we tavern met oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that echo was where lake like we, we met the owner and hung out yeah, with him for a little great. bit i don't yeah. remember them having food uh, I don't know. I don't know. And I think some of them are really slippery how they get past it. They probably have like a minimal working oven, a frozen pizza or something, you know. And yeah, they don't even bother having a menu. Like if someone asks for it, they're like, oh shit, man. Now I got to go back there. You see, I'm the only one here. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll have um, the souffle. And um, how's your prime rib this evening? <laughs> Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out of here. We're due now that we're all, you know, or about to be officially vaccinated. We're due for um, a meetup at one of those places. Yeah, I bet Daryl's is open probably, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daryl's or Echo Lake. Let's do it. Yeah. Nice. And then we got the Backyard Beer Festival coming up to replace the canceled for the second year in a row Washington Brewers Festival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, real, real quick before we run out of time, gentlemen, what you drinking? 
Oh, good man. I was, uh, because I mentioned I was feeling a little under the weather, I was drinking Gatorade. And then at some point I was like, ah, oh, fuck that shit. I got to get a beer in front of me. We're doing the podcast. So I had a industrial IPA in the fridge. Mm-hmm. You know that one? That's from Diamond Knot Brewing, based yep. in Muckleteo. And they also got a really nice one in Mount Lake Terrace. Um, good stuff. It's a, it's a real IPA. It's bitter. It's not fruity. And it's 7.9%. So it passes the loo test. How about you, Jay? Uh, well, I was in uh, in Hillsborough and Portland, um, Oregon this weekend. And I went to, and grabbed myself some, some local beers uh, like I intend to do when I'm doing some travel, find some stuff that I can't. Uh, you know, it's harder to find uh, from a hometown or whatever. So I actually ended up grabbing some stuff that I thought was from Portland. But in fact, it's actually from Camas, Washington, just north of Portland, across the Columbia mm-hmm. River there. This is uh, Grains of Wrath Brewery from Camas, Washington. They have a whole series, <laughs> whole man. series called the Graveyard Series. And, and the particular uh, beverage I am consuming here is Crypt Keeper. Which is a single hop IPA. Uh, commonly enough, just last episode we were talking about Citra. This is a single hop Citra hop IPA, 6.8% APV. Uh, very delicious, very delicious. Nice. What about you, Brad? You drinking a local beer? You got your Rainier can in front of you, your tall boy? No, uh, it's not <laughs> a local beer. Uh, it's kind of boring. Nothing too exciting. I'm drinking uh, a Fat Tire, a, oh, port, yeah. a new Belgian brewery, clocking it at a 5.2%. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it's an old, it's a reliable beer for me, kind of like uh, Mac and Jacks or something like that. You're never disappointed with a Fat Tire, at least I'm not. That, that's a good, one. Good, good summer beer. Good summer beer. Yeah, it's, it's a good summer very beer. Good summer, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, I think. Uh, we're clocking in in an hour. Have we wrapped it up? <laughs> Anything uh, for the good of the order? Uh, did we cover it? We covered it. We covered it. We done did it. All right. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, find us wherever you find your podcast. Please click the like button. Please leave a comment. We actually got our first listener and first comment last week, and we didn't like it. Is that correct, Jeremy? <laughs> well, I don't read those fucking comments. I don't know. <laughs> if you're ever feeling too good about yourself, just read your internet comments. Am I right? Never okay. read the comments. Never read the comments. Never comments. But, but we actually do. So. <laughs> yeah. Do uh, Do you have it in front of you? What did, what did it say? No, I don't have it in front of you. Sorry. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a whole other next episode. Next episode will be entirely about the one comment that was left. <laughs> we'll dive into the nuances and do a full full rebuttal. Yeah, we're taking that guy down. We're gonna find out where he lives. <laughs> we'll get Doc. him on air live. <laughs> I think Doc's him. Whoever it is, we need to find you out. You said he sucked Doc. balls. Uh, can you can you elaborate? Call his employer. Get him fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We'll make him yeah. pay. <laughs> cancel culture, baby. <laughs> cancel culture. All right, so let's cancel this one out. This is all for Three Friends in Search of a Podcast. This is Lou saying goodnight. Guys, do your sign-offs. Later, everybody.
Later. All right. Till next time. Take care.